5. We'll be looking at specifically verse 1 through 4, but I'm going to read the entire psalm. And then we'll begin. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. There are three things we'll see in this text today. The first is what God deserves most. The second is why He deserves it. And the third is the effect it has on those He loves. The immediate context of this psalm is not specifically clear. In fact, it's, it's kind of hard to tell what's going on, what may have happened in the past, or what's about to happen with Israel. But what appears is taking place is David seems to be helping Israel recover from uh, potential divine displeasure. Maybe God wasn't happy with something that Israel was doing. Uh, the creation language speaks to there may have been some kind of drought. Or famine. There's so much language about God restoring him and then praising him for something and then listing specific reasons why God deserves to be praised. His character, his name. And then following that, this whole list that we just read from verse 5 to verse 13 of God's awesomeness in creation and to the ends of the earth. So the immediate context is not clear. But I know this, David has a reason to praise God. And when he, gets, when he gets before the courts of God and he cries out to the Lord, he says, Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And he is our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, the word praise is oftentimes synonymous with a lot of other words. Glory, magnify, worship, bless, exalt, exult. Many of these words are used. Praise is used so much in the Psalms. In fact, on the latter half of the Psalms, from, from about Psalm 110 to Psalm 150, the word praise is just everywhere. Usually it's at the beginning or it's at the end. Or if it's, not a, if it's not in either one of those two, it's in the middle. And it's just saturated with reasons why you should praise God. For all of the things that He's done and who He is. But what does it mean to praise God? What does it mean? We say it all the time. We even have reasons to do it. 
I believe that each one of you who is saved praises God regularly, but we need to know what we're doing, and we need to know why we're doing it. So here's, here is my definition of praise for you this morning. Praise is a genuine expression of thanksgiving and adoration to God by faith, according to your knowledge of His character as revealed in His Word. So let me slow it down there, and then I'll chop it up and show you what I'm saying. Praise is a genuine expression of thanksgiving and adoration to God by faith, according to your knowledge of His character as revealed in His Word. So, if I split that definition up into two parts, it says this. What it is. Praise is a genuine expression of thanksgiving and adoration to God. So, a genuine expression, something that you're expressing from your very being before the living God, is not lip service. They're two very different things. David comes before God and he says, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. But he's not just speaking a truth because he wants to. He's, he's expressing this from a, severe, a sincere heart of thanksgiving and adoration. I love God. I'm so thankful for the things that He has done for me and for my people. This is Israel's king bowing before the living God who is in Zion. What it is, praise is a genuine expression of thanksgiving and adoration to God. But how is it done? And who does it? The psalmist in Psalm 148 was saying, let all the earth praise the Lord. Let everything that praises the Lord, let every corner of the earth praise my God and my King. But what is it? And how is it done? So we've looked at what it is. Now, how is it done? By faith, according to your knowledge of His character, as revealed in His Word. The Word of God has been given to teach and instruct And help man live in the way that God intends for him to live. But it also serves as a rock and a standard and a rule and a foundation. Solid ground to stand upon so that we don't end up worshipping someone who is not God. And David has the right God. And we have the right God if we have believed in Jesus Christ. So how is it done? By faith. According to your knowledge of his character. What do I mean by that? According to your knowledge of his character as revealed in His Word, is simply saying, unless, unless you know something about God, you don't really know God. There's, you have to know something about God. And what we know about God is that He is the God of our salvation. He is the God who has put forward His Son that we might be saved. He is the God who has the power to forgive sins and to give eternal life. He is the power to create things by the voice of His mouth. But we know this because of His Word. We are saved through the preaching of His Word, the proclamation of His Word, because God speaks with great purpose. But His Word is also a rule to keep us from going astray. And it is only done by faith. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. And the truth is, unless you have been born again, you don't want to praise God. Genuine, this is why I use the word genuine, a genuine expression is not lip service. A genuine expression is not something that you have in your mind about God. A genuine expression stems from what you know about Him because He's revealed Himself that way. And that's what we see here in the first verse. So the first point of the day is what God deserves most. And the answer is praise. And we'll see that here in a minute. Now, if that's what it means to praise God, and I'll say the definition one more time. It is a genuine expression of thanksgiving And adoration to God by faith, according to your knowledge of His character, as revealed in His Word. There is something that that is very serious about praising God. Because if you don't praise God, 
you pray something else. And if you pray something else or someone else, well, you're guilty of breaking God's law. And you are wicked in front of the eyes of the Lord. You are committing uh, worshiping of another God. You're breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself any graven image in heaven or earth or under the earth. Or God's anger will burn against you. Praise is due to who? The God of Zion. God's dwelling place in Israel was on Mount Zion. This is where he was before his people in the temple. And they came to worship him. But they came to worship God. So what's the false way of praising God? Uh, is, a person, is a person who is worshiping a figment of their imagination about the true God, kind of similar to the truth, but not really exactly what God's word says? We, we, have, to, we have to draw the line. God's word is clear about what he says about himself. And when you worship and praise him according to the way he has revealed himself, it's good. That's a good thing. There was a, there was a man that came into my previous job store one time. And uh, we had a lot of crazy people that came in and said a lot of crazy things regularly. And you just got used to it. But one guy came in one day and he was bragging about his immorality with his wife. Well, it would have been his ex-wife because then he, he proceeded to brag about his divorce. And he came in there loud-mouthing it, talking real uh, inappropriate and uh, bragging about his immorality. And then he runs up to the desk where I was working, and he's like, Ain't God good, man. Ain't God good. And I just kind of stared at him like this. And then he looked over at my boss, and he's like, Hey, ain't God good, man. Ain't God good. Amen, said my boss. Amen. And I stopped, and I thought, Huh. It would appear... As though the man is praising God. I mean, he said God. But just before he said, ain't God good? He was bragging about immorality. Well, I can tell you this, our God is not immoral. Our God is good. But the God of that man was the God of his own mind. The God of his own sin. He loved his sin more more than he loved the true God. And Psalm 96 says, That we should not worship other gods because they are worthless idols. If you'll pull up on the screen, uh, Elizabeth or David, there's something I'd like for y'all to read from a confession of faith that came just before the Westminster Confession of Faith. And this is what it reads. And this is what I want us to read and understand that we might see, hey, we need to guard against praising God the wrong way. So this is called the Savoy Declaration in this book 22 and article 1. The light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is just, good, and doth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart, and with all the soul, and with all the might. Now here we go. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself. And so limited to his own revealed will, that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men, or the suggestions of God, excuse me, suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. And so what this is proclaiming is that all men know that there is a God. All men know that they are responsible to this God. And they know his uh, divine nature and attributes are shown through his creation. But there's more to it. 
God has revealed himself also in his word. And he expects praise from his creatures. I mean, think about it. God has created all things. And there are creatures that do not praise God. If God is good and merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and there are people who are not worshiping God, doesn't that make you want to preach the gospel? Don't you want people to praise the the living and true God? And so David comes before the Lord, possibly after some kind of discipline or judgment that he was facing, and he is addressing Israel before God, and he says, Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. That old movie, Facing the Giants, that the uh, Kendrick brothers made, Sherwin Pictures or something like that, years and years ago. I remember watching it as a boy. Coach Taylor's team was really struggling. Kids were making bad grades and doing bad things. And the football team was not doing well. And finally, Coach Taylor realizes he needed to get his own life together before he started coaching these boys and expecting for there to be good results. And so he consults his wife And he confesses, I need to be giving God the glory. I'm not giving God the glory for anything that I'm doing. I'm waking up in the morning. I'm complaining about my car that breaks down. There's a stench that's in the vent of the house. They find out later is a dead rat. And he's been complaining about it and angry. People are plotting against him to make him quit his job because he's a horrible coach and his life is falling apart. And then he realizes, that's because I'm trying to live as if God's not there. As if I could do all this by myself. And so he comes up with a new coaching philosophy, he writes it down, and uh, applies it to his home life and to his football team. And the players think he's kind of crazy at first, but then by the end of the, the movie, just when they're playing the last team, they unexpectedly were chosen to play in the championship because the team they lost to in the semifinals had cheated. And I think, if I'm remembering it correctly, the team, the, face, the Giants, the team in the movie is getting ready to lose. And all of the players' heads are down, and they're real sad, and they're just like, oh, this is it. They're, I'm too tired. I can't, I can't do it. And a boy looks up at the team and says, guys, coach is right. When we, when we lose, we're going to praise God. And if we win... We'll praise God. Whatever we do, whatever it takes, from when you wake up in the morning to eat breakfast, to when you lay your head down at night, to the conversations that you had, praise is due to the God of Zion. And so that's point number one. What God deserves most is our praise. And to you shall vows be performed. Now let me be clear of this. Vows are not bargains. So I want to jump over and read very quickly part of Psalm 66. And I'll read it aloud. Uh, Verse 5 through 13. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all... Excuse me, I'm reading the same psalm that I'm preaching from. Psalm 66. Verses 8... Through 15. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place 
of abundance. And here's what the psalmist says. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer, offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. What is so beautiful about what the psalmist is saying here. I made a promise to you in great time of trouble. I was really concerned about my soul. I was really concerned about what was happening. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You, you took us through fire and through water. But now you've brought us out to a safe place. And that, what I, that which I promised you when I was in trouble, I will perform to you. Because you deserve all praise and glory. Yes, you laid a crushing burden on our backs. But you are our God and you are good. And you did it for our good. And so David is saying, And to you shall vows be performed. It is likely that Israel in this time of Possible discipline had made several vows to God. David had made vows to God. And now the time had come to perform it. God is serious about your word. We as Christians must be cautious with the things that we say. Because people are listening. People are watching. And especially what you say to the living God. You make a vow in in faith. uh, In the midst of your struggles. God expects you to keep that vow. It's not like in movies when you hear people in, in situations that are in trouble. I can think of one in particular where a man was stuck out on the raft of, uh, in the middle of the ocean. His boat had sunk or his plane or something like that. And he's like, oh God, if you'll just get me home, I'll just do whatever you want for the rest of my life. I promise you. Be very careful with words like that. Or another one, when a man from a movie I saw was watching uh, a city burn down, he said, God, I promise me and you that I'll buy a piece of land And live there in peace the rest of my life. Well, you might actually do that. But the vow that you're making to God here, especially in this case, is for specific offerings. Uh, There's a definition that may be helpful. I have written down up here for what a vow is. I, I like it a lot. A promise made to God of doing some good thing. Or abstaining from some lawful enjoyment. Under the influence of gratitude for divine goodness. Of imminent danger the apprehension of future evils, or the desire of future blessing. So, uh, vows are not a bad thing, but if you make them to God, you need to be sure that you perform them. He's not only worthy of praise, that's not, not, it's not also what he deserves most, he also deserves for you to obey the words that you have said to him. So, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Now, verse 2. So, what God deserves most is praise. You might even add in there, you need to make sure that you perform your vows to Him. And two, we'll see why He deserves it. David is about to go through a list of God's character. Why He praises God. Why He is crying out to God with praise. And He says, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Now, Earlier I said the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. That means the idols of men are worthless, nothing, carried on the backs of donkeys. But every day you get to wake up and you get to see the sky. You get to see the clouds. It's almost like it's inescapable, God's creation. You know the moment that you lay your eyes on whatever it is that He's created. You're responsible to Him. And you have the opportunity to pray to Him. 
And so David says, oh, you who hear prayer. But he's distinguishing God from the other gods. Our God is a God who hears prayer. There's a reason you can bow your head in confidence when you go to pray in your closet quietly because your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows who you are and what you want. And He has commanded us to pray specific ways. He has commanded us to obey Him in order that our prayers may not be hindered. Yes, it is, it is our God who hears prayer. But you can hinder God from hearing your prayers. Not that he's unable to hear them, but that he won't hear them because of maybe some kind of specific sin that you are living in or cherishing iniquity in your heart. And, and if you do, then God not listening to it. We, we must communicate with our God. It's not just an expectation. It's not even a suggestion. It's a commandment. And so David comes before God and he says, Oh, you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. In Psalm 115, the psalmist gives a long list of why the idols of the earth are pathetic. I'll quote it to you as best as I can. They have eyes, but do not see. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have ears. There it is. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have hands, but do not move. Feet, but do not walk. And then it finishes with this after the list. All who worship them become like them. Think about that. All who worship the idols of the earth become like them. They become statues. They're like dead men. Their hearts are hard. But we worship the living and true God. A God who hears prayer. A God who is willing to hear what you have to say. A God who cares for what you need. A God who has promised salvation to you who come to Him in the way that He has prescribed. And so then it says, To you shall all flesh come. Now I believe, obviously, that God has made a way through Jesus Christ for every nation, tribe, and tongue to come and sit and eat at the, at the table of God for all eternity. I'm not exactly sure that this is a prophecy of that. But I know it's true. I think what this psalm is communicating right here, O oh, you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. I said earlier, God is being distinguished from the gods of the nations. God... Uh, David knows who God is when he comes to pray to him. He knows that God is a God who's, who's heard their prayers. Probably in great distress, Israel cried out to God and God heard their prayer. And now David is coming before him and saying, You are the God who heard us. You are the God who gave ear in my time of trouble. Now I've come to perform my vows to you. To you shall all flesh come. What does that mean? To you shall all flesh come. Well, I said earlier, God has created all flesh. Everything belongs to Him. Every living creature, every living thing God has made with the word of His mouth and now provides for it in His great providence. And the rest of the psalm is about that. But to you shall all flesh come, I think first specifically unites the text to creation. God has created all flesh with His lips. He has said, let there be. And there it was. The heavens and the earth. The angels, the host of heaven, the creatures of the earth, the sea creatures, the birds, every creeping thing. But there is also another way that a man can come to God. And that's either for eternal life or eternal death. To you shall all flesh come. God has authority over all flesh. Perhaps one of the reasons why there is such great wickedness in the earth today, such, uh, 
hard hearts and vile sin is growing in our culture and seeming to be more perverse and perverse. The reason you have to pull your children away from things that you didn't have to before. Reasons you, don't have to, reasons you shouldn't touch things or act a certain way or speak things like you did before is because today people want to live like there is no God. People want to live like He's not there. But guess what? When you wake up in the morning, that sun rises. When you go to bed, that moon is shining in the sky. When you come outside of your house, you're forced to look at the clouds. You're forced to deal with the things that you know you didn't make. You're forced to deal with the things that you sometimes don't understand. That's because somebody else has created it. But today, people want to sit inside. They want to sit on Instagram and TikTok. Today, they want to watch TV all day. They want to gorge themselves away and look at their ceiling and laugh at things that God doesn't laugh at. And then when they come outside, they just want to say, eh. I don't really want to deal with that. They're asked a hard question. What do you believe? What do you think is the meaning of life? Uh, I don't really care. I'm just going to keep doing whatever I want to do. Let me tell you. If any of you think that way in this room, you're wrong. Because the scripture says that God's judgment fills the earth. There is an expectation for God and his creatures. And David is a perfect example of what is happening here in the text. He's coming before him and praising the living God. He's acknowledging his character. This is the God who has created all things. All flesh must come to him. All flesh must come to him who will be saved. So, in creation and in eternal life and, or eternal death. Now notice the next verse. So we've seen, we've seen what God deserves most. Why He deserves it. And the first part of that was He is a God who hears our prayers. He is a God of all flesh. The Creator. Savior. Now we will see that He is a forgiving God. Now, this distinguishes God from anything like we've ever seen before. Because God had created all things. But Adam fell in his transgression. And all of his posterity fell with him. We have sinned in Adam. But we are saved by the new and better Adam. Not, there is no other Adam but Jesus Christ. He is, he is the second Adam. He is the promised Messiah. So David says next, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. And he speaks on behalf of Israel here. He's acknowledging his wrongdoing. It almost would appear he's burdened by it. Oh God, iniquities prevail against me. I can't ever do it right. Every time I think a thought, every time I take a drink of water, or I take a step, or I minister to somebody, I always do it wrong. I always seem to twist what you have commanded is good. I somehow find my way in in the wrong direction, or thinking about the wrong things. Ah, but you, O God, are a God who atones for our transgressions. You don't pick it up right here, but in the KJV it says, Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. There is no hesitation in his voice. There is no creeping and crawling before God like, Oh no, he might not be able to forgive me for this. Oh no, our God is ready to forgive. And David knows this, and he comes before God. Lord, iniquities prevail against me. It's almost like he's burdened. He's got this great burden on his back of his sin. But you atone for our transgressions. And David, as the king, can say that over Israel. 
You atone for our transgressions. You atone for our rebellions. And so today I bring great encouragement to you. The reason that David comes before the true God and says these things is because God actually does it. And he will do it for you. Be so bold as to come to the throne of grace and pray for mercy and grace in your time of need. But there's a catch. You've got to get rid of the things that God says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, you're not keeping that. You want to follow after me, you've got to give it up. Give it up. I am the God who atones for transgressions, but I don't atone for transgressions while you hold on to them. You've got to get rid of them. Repent and believe on me for salvation. And so any in here tonight or today who have not done that, come before God and know, yes, iniquities prevail against you. You are unclean. But, but you have a God who will make you clean. God is ready to forgive all who come to him in faith and are going to repent of their sins. And so David knows this. He comes with confidence. So Israel, Israel just seemed to always go astray. We talked this past Wednesday night about the book of Malachi. How Israel just always seemed to do what God hated. And then they just disputed with him about it. And then we looked at the faithful remnant who said, No, we will fear God and we will do what he has said. And the wicked laughed. And the wicked seem to thrive. The lawless seem to thrive. But here, a man of God is seen. Here, a people of God is seen. Israel, when iniquities prevailed against them, God atoned for their transgressions. But today, He has done that through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, under the new covenant today, Jews and Gentiles are welcome to uh, the table of God. And all who receive Jesus Christ and believe on Him alone for salvation will have eternal life. And His blood on the cross atones, which just simply means to cover your iniquity. But to you who have been saved and here this morning, this is no new thing to you. You know that God is a forgiving God, that He is ready to forgive you. If you need to confess today, if you need to confess something, ask yourself, what have I been serving Are iniquities prevailing against me? Can I come before God with this kind of confidence and praise Him? Or is something keeping me from praising Him? Am I thinking about other things? Am I praising other things? Praise is what God deserves most. Why does He deserve it? Because of His character. So we've seen that God is a hearer of prayer. All flesh will come to Him. When iniquities prevail against you, God atones for transgressions. And now we'll see, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. I believe it's Psalm 84, the psalmist says, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day in the courts of God can't even be comprehended. You don't ever want to leave. You just want to stay there all day. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near. <clears throat> David didn't just come before God because he could. Remember Aaron's sons in the Old Testament? Aaron's sons had to uh, make proper preparation before they went into the temple of God. And one day they got lazy. And they said, ah, we're just going to mosey on in there and see if we can get, there before God, get, there, get in there before God. And then they didn't prepare right. And they walked in there and they burned up. There is a proper way to approach God. There are times when he says, nope, 
unless you give that up, I'm not going to hear your prayers. And there are specific times where God says, come, come to me, come before me. And here in this case, it looks like David is being welcomed back. If what I said earlier about speculation of what could be going on with Israel, David is now being able to approach God. The KJV says he calls him, he calls him forward to approach him. And so if God calls you forward to approach him, approach him. He's not safe, but he's good. He's scary. Oh, but he's so good. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near. And I can't help but escape the fact that this reveals God's divine favor. David didn't go up to God because he just wanted to mosey on in there and because he thought he could. He didn't deserve anything from God. God had probably just saved him and Israel from something. God has saved us from something. He saved us from the second death. He saved us from an enemy who wants to see our souls devoured. He saved us from sins which separate us before him. And so David can't help but acknowledge, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. I don't deserve to be here, but you chose me to come near. It's like, it's like a boy who's disobeyed his father and he just, he's just terrified that his father's angry at him. He knows his father will forgive him, but then he realizes, my God is a God of forgiveness. And the father looks at his boy and says, come near my child. You've sinned against me. You've messed up, but I will make you clean. I will wash you whiter than snow. Yes, iniquities prevail against you. Yes, you cried out. You made vows to me. You cried out and I heard you. I am, I am your father who hears prayer. Come near and dwell in my courts. And he said, what? I get to come near and dwell in his courts? In, in the Old Testament, when the courts, uh, when the temple was erected, I'm not sure if the temple was erected here, but the tent, uh, you just imagine a tent in the middle, uh, maybe like a rectangle. A rectangle. <clears throat> and then the courts were the surrounding, uh, think, of a, think of like a, a bigger rectangle. So you've got this rectangle here, and then you've got a bigger rectangle. It surrounds the outside. Literally a courtyard. It was the place that surrounded where God dwelled in the tent or the temple. And, uh, and if I'm right, according to Scripture, you were closed off from the outside. So you, you were kind of separated and enclosed before God. And so there was something unique about the fact that you were before God who was by His Spirit dwelling in His temple right there. But today, God welcomes us to his courts, and we get to dwell with him because he dwells in us. If you have received Jesus Christ and been born of God, and you are destined for eternity with the Lord, he's promised his Holy Spirit. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1. God promised his Holy Spirit, why? To the praise of his glory and for the security of your soul, the security of your sanctification. Blessed is the one who... God has shown favor to. We are blessed with Christ by Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so David can say here, as can we with David, blessed is the one you choose and bring near. God saw no good in us. God saw no promise of great works or, you know, he was going to be a great ball player or <laughs> whatever it was. He was going to have the best voice in the world. So, oh man, he'd be great fit for my kingdom. Now he chooses the lowly, the outcast, the unexpected, the unliked. And David was one of those. Now, so we've seen what God deserves most, praise. Why he deserves it. And now we'll see the effect it has on those he loves. You almost, you almost 
can't even imagine the reality of God's character that I just read. The reason point number three is the effect on those he loves is because you're not the same when you, when you experience a God like this. Oh, you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose. You've chosen me to come near and dwell in your courts. Oh, man, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. You know, a house says a lot about a person. The way you take care of your domain. When I was a boy and my room was a wreck, my mom would come in there and she'd say, you need to take care of your domain. This is your space. This is your living space. Your clothes are all over the ground. You never make your bed in the morning. There's toothpaste all over the counter. What's going on here? This is your domain. Take care of it. I think there was a general, a a military general who wrote a book years ago, and I, I could be wrong, but I think it was something like Make Your Bed. The success of just making your bed in the morning as a start to keeping your domain clean, to taking care of the things that God has given you that you might praise Him properly. Can you go before God and praise Him while you're treating your life as if it was a wreck? Now, I bring up house because this says we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. I couldn't help but think about one place. When us boys get to go to the cabin with Dr. O, it's like heaven on earth. And uh, there, is, there is something about those furs hanging up on the wall and feeling like you're in the 1800s and chopping trees down and bench pressing and staying up till 1 a.m. playing cards with the boys and eating ribs and chicken and deer meat and all the good stuff that us men like to do. And uh, every time that I've been, I have never wanted to leave. I know I've got to leave, but there are sometimes I just wish Dr. O would look at us and say, let's stay another day, let's stay another day, and uh, you know, our pastor's there, we get to spend time listening to his wisdom, have good conversations, enjoy all of the good things that God has given us men to enjoy, but you don't ever want to leave, you like it there, and you like who's there, if I was there at the cabin with my boys, and Dr. O wasn't there, it'd be fun, but it wouldn't be the same. Dr. O's there. And he props back up in that recliner and he starts reading a sermon while we sit there and listen to him. And man, it's good. It's really good. And here David says, We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. David is in the courts of God. He says, We shall be satisfied. Is that not what we need more of? Are you satisfied with earthly things? Are you satisfied with temporary pleasures? Are you satisfied with things of this earth and not the things of Jesus Christ? Because the things of God are unseen and they're eternal and the things of the earth are temporal. They're fleeting away. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And This is the last verse. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We shall be satisfied, O God, with the goodness of your house. You are a good God, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In our greatest darkness, you saved us and gave us light. You hear our prayers. You answer the things that we need. You provide for us through your creation. So we will be satisfied with the holiness of your temple. Why do you like God's house so much? Because God's there. You don't need to be anywhere else. 
The psalmist says in Psalm 84, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Man. Even if I'm just a doorkeeper in his house, he's right there. And I'd rather be there. I'd rather be letting people in and out of God's house than dwell in the tents of wickedness where all those things are passing away. I think the Puritans described holiness as God's jewel. The jewel of his crown, I think, is what it was. Holiness just simply meaning there, God is not like anything or anyone. He's not like you. He's not like me. He is who he is. And there is none to be compared to him. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Before I close... I want to quote to you something I think that's really encouraging. Me and Fisher and some other guys have memorized uh, by one of our favorite poets. In the poem, the poet is imagining that a believer is entering into eternal, in, into God's kingdom in heaven. Uh, if I remember correctly, he's, he's ready to enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so he comes before Jesus, and he, he seems like he, he doesn't want to go in there because it's like, you're here, and I don't deserve to be here. And so Jesus is getting ready to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the poet says, Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, love is Jesus. Quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. The poet responds, A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, You shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And Jesus says, and know you not, says love, who bore the blame? And the poet responds, oh, my dear, then I will serve. And then Jesus invites him to the table. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. And so I did sit and eat. And Jesus Christ has saved us from the second death, saved us from the powers of hell through Satan, saved us from our sins which separated from us from God. Praise is due to the God in Zion, for there is none like Him. Praise is due for God, for He atones for our transgressions when iniquities prevail against us. Praise is due to God because He hears prayer. Praise is due to God because He chose you when you had done nothing that was deserving of His choosing. What God deserves most is praise. Why he deserves it is because of his character. And his character has a serious effect on those he loves, which leads us to more praise and obedience. Let's pray.